0: what's going on guys welcome back to another edition of the auburn undercover podcast here on the 24 7 sports network my name is nathan king hope everybody is having a good wednesday halfway through the week it's a bit of a slow period things are about to get really picked up though recruiting is obviously In its dead period, in terms of people, a little break from people being allowed on campus after what was a really, really busy June. We're about to get into July. That's probably the biggest thing happening at Auburn at the moment. Later in the week, the name, image, and likeness bill in Alabama will go into effect on July 1st. We will talk a little bit later in the podcast about what that means. Um, A few other points that we're going to get to in this show, but I put out um, some questions asking y'all for some questions on our message board today and so kind of want to just get into that and pick y'all's brain and see what we uh what we wanted to talk about here today what y'all thought would be the most important thing to talk about and not a surprise that all of it most of all of it um is centered around recruiting because auburn is about to get through the entire month of june with no commitments now that's not a super common thing looking around the country with people and programs regaining momentum after such a big dead period You know, fifteen months with the with the pandemic that people weren't allowed on campus unless you're Arizona State and then you snuck people on campus. But it was a really long time, and so the momentum is slowed a little bit. It kind of it came up really fast for Auburn when they were allowed when they got people back on campus, and then no commitments in the month of June. What does that mean for the program? Are they behind right now, or is it just a matter of their targets not committing right now? And should Auburn fans be concerned about that? And the direction that recruiting is going right now, because right now Harson's 2022 class, again, super early things just open back up, but they're ranked in the 70s and the 24/7 Sports rankings, class rankings, and that's last in the SEC, I believe, as I'm looking at it right now. A lot of a lot of room to grow, of course, and a lot of time to go. Um, we're going to get Keith Nieber in here to answer some of those questions that y'all had about that, and then we'll talk about the rest of the questions later on in the podcast that don't have to do with recruiting but a lot of them were pretty similar so I wanted to go ahead and get them all lumped in together and get those addressed so of course Keith knows everything about recruiting he is a recruiting expert at Auburn Undercover 24-7 sports so we're going to have him on right now to get to y'all's questions okay so here is Keith Niebuhr to talk about Auburn football recruiting went almost the entire month of June Keith you mentioned it in a story today same number of commitments they started the month with, so I'll just get to kind of the basic question. I'll lump some of the subscriber questions yeah. together. and yeah, keep, keep
1: them keep them simple. You know, I got a small brain there here. There you sir. go. Yeah.
0: No, no, no. Um, okay, yeah. So the main one, I mean, should Auburn fans be concerned with the direction of the recruiting right now? And is there concern within the program? That was another one we got.
1: It's okay to be concerned that you only have three uh, commitments. I mean, that's that's fine. That's natural. That's what that's what we. As fans of sport do, we're we're always concerned. So yeah, that's that's natural. And and why not? You're looking, you're, you know, why wouldn't you be? You're 14th in the out of 14 teams in the SEC in the team recruiting rankings, you're 71st or 72nd nationally. So yeah, concern about where you're at right now, natural. Concern about the direction seems a little premature. And, and I know people are gonna say, but yeah, but look at this pattern and that pattern and who Auburn's recruiting against and who they're not getting and all that. But but these guys are new. Um, they're starting to uh, figure out their code. I mean, they're still developing cohesiveness as a staff. They're still developing the board Uh, that uh, June was the first month they could see these guys in person. Now, somebody made a great point on the board today. They said, okay, but if it's September, they're still evaluating the board and reshuffling the board, then it's probably an issue. And I I would agree to a certain extent with that, but June was their first time to look at guys. So your whole recruiting board was going to change at that point. And so, um, you know, and, I, and look, they haven't given us any reason to think that they're going to be terrible recruiters. I mean, they're just look, it's a, is it a slow start in terms of commitments, yes, but there's what we know and then what we don't know and, you know, there's what we know publicly. We know they got three commitments, we know what kids are saying, we know kids are committing to other schools and and all that stuff. Uh then there's what I report and Jason reports, the intel that we get, and uh that paints a little bit better picture. They're in it with some guys, you know, certainly. Um, uh, and then there's what we don't know. And quite frankly, uh, this is a staff as we've learned in the, I'd say the last couple of months that, um, try you know, tries to keep a lid on a lot of the recruiting activities. Um, and I don't mean activities in terms of dirty and being dirty. And you know, that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm saying they, when they're recruiting guys and and they don't want it out, they they're, they're trying to make sure the info doesn't get out. So in my opinion, there's probably a heck of a lot more going on behind the scenes than, Than Jason and I know, and this is our job to know. We we can't get our arms around it, believe me. Uh, And then what the public knows. So in that sense, uh, it could be a lot better than what we think it is now. You know what I mean? It really could. But here's the other thing. You know, the 71st ranking or whatever, it was 71st this morning, You know, one commitment gets you up 15 spots when you're that far down. So, I mean, they're they're one good week away from being in the top 50. You say, okay, well, top 50 still isn't great. Of course not. But what I'm saying is it's not as bad as that as it may seem. But the direction, I I mean, I I don't know what to say. I don't even really know how to answer that one because – I think fans certainly should be concerned or could be concerned. And it's, it's not an issue if they are or aren't, but if they are, I wouldn't blame them. You're looking at the scoreboard and the scoreboard says three commitments, but overall direction is hard to critique if we don't know everything they're doing and everybody they're recruiting and all the things they know that we don't know. Give them the benefit of the doubt. It's it's We're recording this on June 29th. I say give them the benefit of the doubt for now. You know what I mean? Let's see what they can do over the next couple of months. And you can't, you really can't judge a class until the end. Okay. Look, there are things that you're looking at and you're saying, it doesn't look good, man. You know, but we know, and we used to say this with the old staff or see it with the old staff, the previous regime, man, so much changes from month to month. Guys open up, guys decommit, uh, you know, there's so much unknown. Now, are, are there, again, are there reasons that you're thinking, okay. I don't know. Is this going to happen? And uh, yeah, okay, sure. But I'll give you that. But I don't think these guys have been there long enough for us to d- know what their patterns are. We knew that Gus's team's w- recruiting classes would start slow and then they pick up after Big Cat. It's too soon for us to really know w- what the, the pattern might be for a Brian harson team. We know they do have some outstanding proven recruiters on the staff like Mike Bobo, Will Friend, you know, guys like that. So, You know, I would say right now it's hard, but be patient and give them the benefit of the doubt because they haven't done anything for you, uh, done anything historically to not give them the benefit of the doubt. You In other words, don't don't lose any sleep over it just Mm -hmm. yet. You know what I mean? Cut the guys a little slack.
0: Do you anticipate anything like a big cat? weekend. I've seen some you yeah, know I, similar stuff around the country. I haven't heard it.
1: I haven't heard anything about them doing that. Now, they might, I don't know. I mean, I think Jason talked to somebody who said they didn't plan on having another camp uh, in late July. I mean, personally, maybe I'd have a, an underclassman type deal, but I mean, they, they got to do things their way. I mean, you know, do I know more than they do? I mean, yeah, look, I mean, maybe some things I do. Maybe there's some other coaches that write better than I do too and would be better reporters, you know, who knows? But overall, I kind of, you kind of acquiesce to the people who do it for a living, you know what I mean? Uh, And so I don't know what the plan is going to be because basically I should, I should point out one thing. It's dead again. It's an NCAA recruiting dead period for the next four weeks. So June 1st through June 27th, you can have kids on campus officially and unofficially. You can show them around all that stuff for the first time in 15 months. Now it's quote unquote dead again, which means you can't have anybody on campus. uh, You can't host anybody on campus. They could certainly visit on their own, but they couldn't meet with anybody. But you can't host anybody on campus until July 25th, I believe. That final week in July, you'll be able to have official visitors, a camp or two or whatever you want to do. You can have kids back. Not sure what Auburn's plan is going to be that week just yet. Uh, But there, there was another question you mentioned earlier. I don't know if I did get to. It was the second part.
0: No yeah you you hit on it all I mean oh, I did okay yeah I I think you're exactly you know people are just kind of a little concerned right now but like you said it's you know if you weren't then that'd be strange it's just face value yeah, right I, now I, I a mean, lot listen, more goes would, into I'm- it
1: I was always concerned. Every year, Jason or somebody, you would get a call from me. Man, what is going on? They're ranked 44th in the recruiting rankings. Mm. I remember the one year I can't remember it was 2017 or I think want to say 2017, maybe. And they were sitting at like 51st on, in the recruiting rankings coming into this very weekend, the same time frame, right around Fourth of July. And then Cedric Jackson committed, and then that kind of got the ball rolling again. But what we knew was. That they always built off of Big Cat Weekend. Now, because there is no Big Cat Weekend, what are they going to build off of? Maybe they don't need anything to build off of. Uh, but there are a bunch, a number of kids who are going to be announcing in the next several weeks, and so we may have a different, uh, we may have a different opinion of where things sit in three or four weeks. If they double their commitments, uh, if they do pretty well at certain positions, I mean, here's what I would say. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm concerned not as a fan because I'm an impartial journalist, but I, I, you know, why wouldn't you be? Like I said, look at the scoreboard. You only got three commitments. However, you do have a four-star quarterback, and that's like having three or four commitments if you if you really want to look at it that way because yep. that is, it's that means so much to your class. That's literally I – mean, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but having a quarterback, a, a high-level quarterback, who I should mention, by the way, Holden Gurner, is competing at the Elite 11 Finals – out in Southern California this week. And so having a player of his caliber committed and in your class and not looking around, as far as we know, seems pretty locked in with Auburn. That's again, that's, there are teams out there with seven or eight commits that don't have a quarterback of his caliber. So what does that really mean? I mean, you ain't winning if you ain't got good quarterback play. I mean, I think Auburn fans know that as much as well as anybody in the country. So, you know, there, there's different ways. There's a lot of th- ways you can look at a class and say, oh, it doesn't look good. And then there's other things you say, eh, you know what? Give them the benefit of the doubt. I like that Auburn is, fi- is a finalist for this guy and that guy. I'll give you a position, you know, receiver position. Auburn's deep in it with several guys. Um, not several, but a handful of really good players. Now, maybe they don't get any of them. Maybe they get all the ones they want. I don't know. One of them, Jay Fair out of Texas, probably down between Auburn and TCU look for him to have a decision maybe sometime in July. I think it was going to be early July, like maybe even July 1st, and now it might just be sometime during the month. Again, three-star guy. A lot of teams think he's got the four-star ability. So, you know, that's a position I think they're doing fairly well. at. Offensive line still a concern. Um, But, um, you know, again, what we don't know behind the scenes probably would fill in a lot of gaps. You know, and so you say, okay, if you're listening, you say, all right, Keith, isn't that, isn't that your freaking job to, to get us that info? It is, but I can tell you that the, uh, the, you know, the, the drip of, of information isn't a drip, 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 drip anymore. It's a drip, drip. I mean, it's, it's, you know, they're, they're tightening up over there and, you know, and that's their prerogative. And that's what, you know, they, they, they're focused. They're locked in on guys. And they're working recruitments hard. And it's been hard to get info the last, uh, you know, several weeks so, or our handful of weeks. And so, again, what we don't know is who they really feel good about outside of the guys, you know, we know. You know a guy like a Caden Story, four-star defensive end. I mean, if Caden Story – and by the way, uh, Nathan, he announced just before we started this recording that he's going to decide on or reveal his decision on August 1st. Yep. Well, if he said – and I, and I love where Auburn sits – but if he said July 1st, then you'd be talking about Auburn maybe getting a, fi- a four star commitment. What's July 1st, Friday? No, that's uh, Thursday, right?
0: Yep. So, mm-hmm.
1: and, then, and then all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, there's the momentum, but he's not announced. He's not announcing publicly until August 1st. Well, what if he's already told Auburn he's coming? I mean, I'm not saying he has, but hypothetically speaking, what if he's already told Auburn he's coming? So they know they have a four star guy on the list that we don't know about. So that's what I talk about. That's what I mean when I say they clearly know a lot more things than the public knows, or even Jason and I, or, you know, okay. So there may be other guys, you know, uh, like, well, Micah Pollard three-star linebacker out of Florida visited two weeks ago. Uh, Caden story, the four-star DN said, Hey, we're going to probably play together. Now we hear that a lot. And a lot of times it doesn't materialize, but they're cousins. They're literal cousins and very close friends. And they absolutely. uh, Well, 90% chance they're going to play at the same school, according to Caden. So if you're getting one on August 1st, maybe you're getting the other one right around then, right? And and there's only a handful of schools recruiting both of them. And I like, again, I like Auburn for Caden. And if they're going to play together, makes you think they're going to get Micah Pollard. So again, how bad are things? Maybe not as bad as we all think when we just look at the rankings and we see guys committing to other schools and you know. So all of this leads me to think that these guys. Know a lot more. Oh, I, I know what the question was. Is there panic inside the building? I don't think so. Yeah, we have. We haven't. I mean, you know, we obviously all have sources. People talk to us. So sometimes they, they go dry. But I mean, honestly, I haven't, I haven't sensed any panic from anybody I've talked to. And by the way, we'll also, you know, you talk to recruits, you get a feel for the staff. And, you know, I can't be in there with Brian Harson or in, and with Mike Bobo or recruiting, the head of recruiting, Darren Usher. I can't be in there in those meetings, obviously. So, but the kids tell us what they're like, and and I mean, they seem pretty locked in. They seem pretty locked in. I mean, you know, um, they like talking ball with the kids now. Uh, some kids, some kids love that. Some kids are there for the photo shoots, and it's up to a staff to figure out what kind of personality a kid has uh, and whether they'll fit or not. But uh, you know, I don't. I haven't sensed that there's any real panic over there. But they can't. I mean, this is what these guys do, man. There, every one of these coaches on this staff has been on a team where the, that started fast in recruiting and been on a team that started slow in a cycle. They've, they've run the gamut in terms of, even the younger guys, of fast starts and slow starts. So they know how to react to each scenario. Fast start, you can't take the foot off the gas. Slow start, you know, you can't, uh, you can't worry about it. You got to play the long game, as they say. And by the way, speaking of the long game, you know, writing things out, uh, we have heard that uh, uh, you know Auburn like, they're gonna keep recruiting guys that they want if, even if they commit to other schools I mean I think that goes without saying but you have to repeat it here and there so so people don't necessarily give up now people are going to recruit your the, the flip side is people are going to recruit your guys your commits right. too uh, and Jarrell Stinson's getting pushed by some schools right now a cornerback uh, commit from Opelika. but they're gonna keep the guys they really like and feel like fit their culture and fit their schemes and you know personality traits. Um, personality traits of a young man mesh well with what they are they're gonna they're gonna keep pursuing those guys I'll take and, and see what happens and you know I, I don't think they have to go 10 and two to, to get recruits this fall um, you know it, it's about comfort for a kid and and seeing how I could be used in that offense or I could be used in that defense so maybe the offense struggles uh, the outside receiver position and use and as a fan you think oh boy, we really didn't show anything to that kid, boy, that we really wanted to be an outside receiver. But the outside receiver recruit may say, they didn't show me anything, which is great because they ain't got anything like me and I can come in and play right away. There's two ways to look at all these recruitments, actually more than two ways. Um, So I guess, you know, earlier today, I was in that that kind of mode where I was kind of feeling down about the class. and, And I think I've talked myself even into giving this, these guys being a little more patient. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, they've not, Nathan, I I don't know if you agree, man. They've never been bozos. So we can't just assume they're bozos. I mean, they, they are guys that uh, all seem to have pretty good track records, right? uh, Different schools, different conferences, different parts of the country. I mean, yeah, sure. But they haven't done anything. They've been on the job six months. They haven't done anything for people to for us me you fans to, to not think they could get this thing rolling in recruiting so be patient you know be patient
0: yeah all of them have tasted level of success and the only one who hasn't in college is Nick Eason and he's yeah maybe doing the best job out of any of them well, so far so and
1: look we don't know how it's gonna turn out okay we, we nobody does they don't know i mean you know for the sake of auburn fans yeah you'd like these guys to take off like gangbusters but we don't we don't know um, but we also don't know that we don't know the good or the bad. We just don't know. I and mean, there's not a lot of evidence there yet. You know, we don't, we don't know how it's going to turn out. And, it, and that, that kind of makes it fun and exciting. And I, I think everybody will calm the hell down. Once a couple of commitments start coming in. Now, when are they going to come? We'll see. But now we know Caden's story, August 1st. We know there's guys announcing in July, Alex McPherson, the number one kicker in the country, which, you know, people will be like, Oh, what's the big deal? Nobody ever makes a big deal out of these guys. So I'll tell you what. I wouldn't want to trade Anders Carlson or Daniel Carlson from the last eight years. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's a pretty damn big deal when you get the number one kicker in the country. Now, they got to get him. You know, nothing's done until a guy commits or or signs if we're going to be taking that next level. But um, they feel like it it seems like they're in a good spot with Alex McPherson. There's Uh, other guys. I mean, you know, it's just. It may just have to be one of those classes that every few weeks something happens. There may not be this flurry of commitments like we saw at FSU this past weekend. And by the way, I mean, yeah, you know, there are guys, and I need to point this out too. You know, FSU took a bunch of commitments the other day, and yeah, a couple of them Auburn wanted. And a couple of them Auburn wasn't, even, wasn't recruiting. I mean, you know, their point being, everybody's got their different tastes. And there are kids that surely would have committed to Auburn by now had Auburn pushed for them. And, and they, but you know, that's what juniors wore. Get a kid on campus, eyeball them, get them in camp, see what they have or don't have. And then your board changes. And so uh, there've been some kid I mean, look, i give you two right now. Well, Camden Brown, a receiver from Fort Lauderdale, St. Thomas Aquinas, um, you know, got an Auburn offer. I know I'm boring you Nate here, but got an Auburn offer like a month ago, then went to camp. And I think that offer was kind of one of those, you got an offer, but you still got to come to camp and we got to look at you. He goes to camp, he wins MVP honors, and he immediately names Auburn his big leader. And and behind the scenes, you know, we're here. No, it's done. He's going to Auburn. But what we didn't know was where he sat on the Auburn receiver board and how it might impact them recruiting other guys. And as it turns out, Auburn decided to go in another direction when it looked like this kid was about to commit. So he's a really good player. St. Thomas Aquinas. You're talking, Nathan, about the number one high school program maybe in the country and certainly in um, – so, well, in, where they're located in Fort Lauderdale, Broward County, there's about five or six really good ones. But you could argue it's a top 10, top five even national program in what is now probably the best county in the country, Broward County, best county in the country for producing talent. And, and so, yeah, solid player. He ended up committing to Pitt, uh, which uh, you say, oh, well, how good could he get if he's going to Pitt? Well, uh, Pitt has produced, let's see, Aaron Donald. I think he's a pretty good player, right? Uh, Dan Marino, pretty good player. Uh, I'll give you one more because since it's applicable to this kid's position, Larry Fitzgerald. Okay. Has Auburn ever had a receiver as good as Larry Fitzgerald in the NFL? No, absolutely not. So now, as a program, obviously, you'd take Auburn other than that, the the decade of the 1970s when Pitt was awesome. You would take Auburn historically, of course, over Pitt, but it's a a formidable program historically. Uh, And so Auburn could have had him, they'd have another commitment right now. You know, Jalen Lewis, a defensive back from Nashville, visited. Names Auburn as big leader. Well, it turns out Auburn's recruiting a bunch of cornerbacks. They're not ready to decide who they want yet, and you know they're taking their time. Basically, they're being super selective there. Uh, and now it looks like Arkansas is the team to beat for him. And you know, again, so write it. Read, read the writing on the wall there. That was a, another guy that Auburn probably had a really good chance to get. But so you say, okay, well, who are they going to get behind those guys if they're not ta- if they're not ready to let these guys in. What's next? Well, and that's part of what they're kind of keeping under wraps over there uh, and doing a damn, pretty dang good job of, of keeping stuff quiet. So, again, there's always more going on than we know. and We try to get our arms around it. It's hard enough for them to get their arms around it. But trust me when I tell you, the college coaches know far more than we do. You know what I mean? We try. We try our best, but it's hard.
0: Yeah, Keith mentioned a few of them there, but um, we got another question about who could be the next person oh, yeah, to commit. Yeah. But Keith had a story on that today. Oh, Subscribers okay. definitely go um, check that out. Keith, one more, and then we'll let you go. Yeah, Great perspective yeah. from you. you. You mentioned him about how big Holden Gurner is for this class. Oh yeah, you you've done some interviews with him. You had him on the podcast one time. He's risen. How has he risen so much in the rankings to the point where he's now competing? in the elite 11 and what are you going to be looking for from him this week out in LA? Well, I, I, I,
1: yeah, obviously I won't be out there. Unfortunately, I'll, I'll be in Southern California next week to play golf, but, uh, but no, uh, well, look, I mean, he's got the parts. I mean, I mean, look, he's a tall kid, 6'3, 210, 215 pounds. I mean, he looks and they want a pro style guy They, you know, they'd like you to be athletic, Mike Bobo and Brian Harson and company. They'd like you to be athletic, but the main thing is, they're looking for an NFL arm and, uh, and they think he's got that, obviously. I mean, Mike Bobo, once it was obvious Auburn wasn't getting Gunnar Stockton, the five-star that committed to Georgia, immediately locked in on this kid, Holden Gurner, out of Savannah. And he's playing at Benedict Team, which is one of those schools, Nathan, where a lot of the teammates around him are going to be doctors and lawyers and dentists and you know all that stuff. He's not playing with five-star and four-star receivers. So he's having to make a lot. And, and you know, that might be better, quite frankly, because he's he's having to elevate the team uh, as opposed to just being one piece. So I uh, I I think so he's got the body type. He's got the big arm and he is highly intelligent. I mean, it, yeah, I, I hate it when you interview a kid and you, you get off the interview and you're like, eh, you know, you realize that you're not as smart as the 17 year old that you just <laughs> interviewed, even though I I've traveled the world and and, and, you know, dated supermodels and uh, you knew about that. Obviously. Right. Yeah, and, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and he's just a really highly intelligent guy. So hopefully that applies to the field. Now, they say he's got to do a little bit better in big games. Well, it, you know, I could probably you could probably guess what's happened in big games. He's probably trying probably trying to put a little too much on his shoulders because he doesn't. His teammates are good players. Let's not. Knock, I'm not knocking those kids, but they're not. He's not playing with guys that are going to be playing at Auburn. You know what I'm saying? So he probably puts a little too much on his shoulders. That's kind of been one critique, but that's what growth is about. Nobody's perfect at 17 years old. And so uh, he looked great in camps this year. I mean, it's a big arm. Oh, by the way, he can also throw from different slot levels, slot angles. Excuse me. You know how you see Patrick Mahomes do that? And I'm not comparing him to Patrick Mahomes, but he can, if somebody's rushing from the, from the, the front, he can sling it to the side. I mean, he's, uh, he seems to see a lot out there. You know what I mean? Um, so I, he's, he's got a lot of potential, you know, he's got a lot of potential. Auburn's got some other quarterbacks that'll be in front of him on the depth chart. And that's fine. You, you don't necessarily want to have to rush a guy in there. So love the potential Harden Gurner.
0: Yeah. And he'll be out the elite 11 finals in LA this week. So we'll be tracking him.
1: Yeah. Let me point one thing out Mm -hmm. that I love. His potential is irrelevant. What I know about quarterbacking, you can fit into a thimble. What's important is that other, there are other sec schools that thought highly of an LSU, Georgia. You know, our uh, cousin, Rusty Mansell, over at Dogs 247. Uh, he, it was his understanding that Georgia liked him. You know, they obviously got Gunner Stockton, so they didn't need another quarterback. But, yeah, I mean, you know, so very well thought of Holden Gurner with other colleges.
0: Yeah, now he's up to a composite four-star, number 15 yeah. quarterback in the country. Again, we'll be yeah. watching him this week. Keith, thank you so much for coming on the show. Lots of great information. We'll get right back to the podcast after this break. You're listening to the Auburn Undercover Podcast. All right, now let's get into the rest of the questions you all submitted. Thanks so much to everybody, all of our subscribers, for hitting me up with those um, this afternoon. Like I said, kind of a variety of topics here, but just wanted to chop it up with you all. So excited to jump into these. We already got to uh, a bulk of them, which was the recruiting questions, but I had some other good ones in here um, from Tiger Brother 12. He says, Do you think Harson can be great in the SEC without being a top 10 class recruiter? I assume you mean. Um, top 10 in the country, obviously not top 10 in the SEC. In other words, how good do you think he can be at getting the best out of the players he does bring in? So as Boise State's head coach, I'm going to give some numbers to you here. Um, Harson only had five blue chip prospects, or excuse me, six blue chip prospects, all four stars. Let me break them down for you here. Um, the best prospect ever at Boise State was a safety named Dylan Sumner Gardner. He was dismissed from the team before any ever really doing anything. Then you've got Hank Bachmeyer, the quarterback. A lot of people know him. He's entering his third season as the starter. So things worked out pretty well for him. And then another long-term quarterback for them was Brett Rippon, who did not get drafted, but he was a four-year starter. He was the first-team quarterback in the Mountain West for three straight seasons, and now he's in the NFL. He's an NFL, consistent NFL backup. Um, He even started a game and threw for like 250 yards and won it in 2019, excuse me. Uh, Casey Klein is a linebacker. Still to be determined for him, Um, he redshirted in 2019 and then only appeared in one game during the weird COVID year last year. Jermani Brown was a four-star wide receiver who didn't really pan out, kind of the only one on this list that went to Boise State, tried it out, and then didn't really pan out. He transferred to Iowa Western. And then Khalil Shakir, who is still on the roster, he is first-team preseason, um, all Mountain West on whatever you look at, all the lists you look at right now in the summer, and he could be the best. Wide out in the conference now all six of those guys I just mentioned still you know some of them some of them are still at Boise State and the other ones who are now moved on did not get drafted so none of his six blue chip prospects again all of which are four stars none of them got drafted but he had 17 first round or excuse me 17 NFL draft picks um, Boise State's coach obviously from 2014 to 2020 that's not including the guys that he helped to mold when he was the offensive coordinator. We'll, we'll give those to Chris Peterson. Um, but that was the most in the Mountain West, 17 NFL draft picks over that span. And again, only six four-star prospects. He's going to be working with a lot more talent at Auburn. He is a developer, to answer your question. Um, he's a guy that had to do that at Boise State in order to produce at a high level. Um, Boise State obviously you know, strung together years and years of developing Good players, you know, pretty mid-range recruits into really good players there in the in that smaller program, and then turning them into NFL talent. They were able to get on bigger stages, and so he helped them to do that at Boise. Now he's at the biggest stage possible. He's at the biggest stage he can be at in the SEC. And mid-range recruiting classes at Auburn will will get him the same players he he had at Boise State. You know, he, he was very consistently bringing in classes that, again, he only had five four-star prospects during his time there during his seven seasons as head coach. So most of his classes were non blue chip guys. Now he's probably going to be the opposite. You know, Auburn's going to want most of its classes to be blue chip prospects. He has to land the bigger talents at Auburn so that he can show off this development that Auburn is touting so much that everybody who thinks he's going to pan out as a good coach at Auburn um, is touting so much that he can develop them in much the same way. Yes, he's a great developer, But to answer your question, I mean, his teams can't be great in the SEC without consistent top 10 or top 15 classes. Now, I do think he can maybe do a little bit better of a job kind of to answer your second part. He can maybe do a little bit better of a job than Gus Malzahn did in terms of getting guys to their maximum potential guys that aren't necessarily the highest rated recruits ever kind of getting the most out of them. But again, his teams overall consistently year to year will not get to the mountaintop and get to consistent double-digit win seasons unless they recruit those consistent top 10, top 15 classes. That's because, I mean, say, you know, you asked about a top 10 class. I mean, in the top 10, you're also going to have Alabama, Georgia, Florida, LSU. I mean, Ole Miss had a great class in 2021. Kentucky's having a good class in 2022. So far, all of those teams could be ahead of you. I mean, they're all ahead of Auburn right now. Mississippi State's having a good class right now obviously you know obviously auburn's last in the sec but a lot of those programs i mentioned were ahead of them last year as well and so when you get into that top 10 a lot of those teams especially the alabama georges lsu's florida's texas a&ms are going to be hovering around that top five range so if they are consistently out recruiting you they're consistently beating you there's no way around it history has shown it um and there's no way around it when you when you finally get onto the field so I think Harson's goal should be to stay in that blue chip ratio. Obviously Auburn 24/7 sports released the blue chip ratio um, for the 2021 season. That's a four year cycle. So the 2018 class through the 2021 class and being in the blue chip ratio means simply that you have more blue chip prospects on your roster than non blue chip prospects. Blue chippers are obviously four and five star recruits and three stars and below are obviously not blue chips. And it doesn't matter if, they stayed doesn't matter if they developed doesn't matter if they left for the NFL draft it's all about bringing those guys in and being consistently able to recruit them so if he stays there i am interested to see what he does especially at the quarterback position especially on offense we'll see what he can do as a developer if he can stay in that blue chip ratio because most people believe he's better at that than Gus Malzahn he will be a better developer of lower end talent than Gus Malzahn he was a great one at Boise State so we'll see what happens now as he's able to get better guys in the program, can he turn them into even better players at some positions of need at Auburn, especially on offense and especially um, at quarterback, his marriage with Mike Bobo, seeing what they can do for the quarterback position. Talked about Holden Gurnier, uh, TJ Finley and Bo Nix are going to come up later in these questions. So that's obviously a really, really big one because again, a lot of success for him. Multi-year starters, Brett Ripon now an NFL guy, Hank Bachmeyer, I've seen him look be a, a draftable guy next season obviously a three-year starter so but yeah to, to, to kind of sum up the question I don't think he can be great without consistently putting in top 10 classes but I do think he can be one of the best at getting out of getting the best out of his players if he can't bring in those kinds of classes every single year so if he's bringing in a top 15 class occasionally he might be able to get more out of those guys and make it look more similar to a top 10 class than maybe a guy like Gus Malzahn could again, especially on offense, especially a quarterback. So we got G man's up one with a series of questions. We're going to break all these down. First one. Have you heard what fair weighs now I'm going to go and assume you mean um, Tony fair, the UAB defensive tackle transfer. So yeah, he had told us that and he told Keith, I believe in a story, he put that up, but he kind of made it known that he wants to play it a little bit, Slimmer down. He was listed at six foot three, 335 pounds at UAB. Really, that true nose tackle. So Auburn's going to have two very, very experienced. You got Tyrone Truesdell fifth-year senior. Um, Tony Fair's on his third or fourth, I believe fourth college program. He entered the college ranks like six years ago. So obviously, two very experienced guys at that true nose tackle spot. That's gonna take on a lot more value now under Derek Mason and his three-four defense. Fair wants to play more like Derek Brown was his senior year, kind of in that. Now Brown was listed at 6'5. five; he, he's not that tall now that he's in the NFL. So, um, assuming that UAB got Tony Fair's height right, um, he wants to play a little bit more in that three ten to three fifteen pounds range. So he's focusing on that right now. I, the specific question, I do not know what he is at this moment. Um, I do know that Auburn is putting an emphasis on nutrition this off season. Uh, teaching players how to cook they've got a little cooking program right now Um, also just a nutrition program and um, a little bit of an instructional series about making sure they know what is going into their bodies and how important it is um, to stay healthy and eat the right things especially when they're away from campus that goes back to the whoop bands that we talked about subscribers know what i'm talking about Um, in the vip buzz story a couple weeks ago how auburn's got these tracking bands now and they're tracking players when they're on campus, when they're, when they've gone home and they're not only tracking, you know, their workouts and their steps and all that kind of stuff, but they're also tracking their sleep patterns and um, what they eat. They're inputting calories, inputting nutrition, all that kind of stuff. So that is kind of the advantage that this staff thinks they can have. They think they can focus on those kinds of thing, things. Brian Harson did a lot of unique stuff like that with his previous staff at Boise state and thinks he can derive an advantage from it. So Obviously, if Tony Fair has made it clear to the staff that that's what he wants, he wants to play slim down and Auburn staff agrees with him, which we think they do. We think that's what he's going to try to do. Then I'll be interested to see what he weighs when fall camp rolls around, because, again, if he's coming in, he's listed at six foot three at UAB and three thirty five. If he's hitting that roster, at the beginning of fall camp and they hand us the sheet and it says six foot three, three twenty 315, that's going to be really, really good because he does want to play and be a little bit more explosive, trying to make a good impression here in his final college season before he tries for the NFL. Really good question. He also asked any idea what Torrance's forty time is. Again, that's Rotarius Torrance, um, a JUCO cornerback transfer who was the NJHCAA, a bit of a mouthful. That's uh, a JUCO league. He was their defensive player of the year. His JUCO program won a national championship during. The spring season. And he was not only the best player on that team, um, an All American in his Juco league, but he was also the defensive player of the year overall. I could not tell you exactly what his 40 time is. Um, I know obviously Auburn ran, 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 went around a little bit of video and some of the numbers from combine style drills they did last week. I don't have Torrance's official 40 time watching his film, though, which I did do just for this question, went back and looked. He kind of like a four, five, four, six guy. But the most important thing is that he's six foot three, almost 200 pounds, and he can move for that size. That's not necessarily his forte, though, if you go back and watch him, he is a physical winning at the point of contact cornerback, a lot like what Roger McCreary does. Now, Roger McCreary is one of the fastest players on the team, but you look at how he's able to win, and it's with really, really good ball skills going up and getting the ball and making sure he's turned around at the right time and using his body in a really smart way Rotarius Torrance uses his body very very well in coverage but he's also got the advantage of that six foot three frame that's what makes Roger McCreary so good is that you know he was an underrated recruit he's an undersized not an undersized guy but kind of a standard size at corner and he is really really good so Draon Miller is also kind of a, a bigger cornerback so him and Torrance in the secondary that's going to be interesting to see how they cover versus guys like Nehemiah Pritchett and Roger McCreary and Jalen Simpson, who are kind of that Simpson is a little lankier, but kind of that standard size. So anyway, don't know Torrance's exact 40 time, but just kind of giving you some general observations of what we know about him now. And he is on campus now for what that's worth. He is on campus with the team. So and then your last question here, um, Mr. G man's up is number four, has Brandon Frazier gotten bigger since the spring? So In the months after spring ball, talking about the tight end out of Texas, who was a four-star prospect in last year's class. He was a really big Chad Morris guy. So Auburn is really glad that he was able, that he stuck around. Obviously, when Chad Morris was not retained as the program's offensive coordinator, Frazier was already massive, like 6'7". I believe, yeah, they got him listed here at 268. So at 6'7", he's probably more like 6'6", and seeing him in person, probably around the 270 range. Honestly, I mean, he is a huge, huge target. I remember seeing him. I don't even think he caught the pass, but like, I think Knicks overthrew him in the Mississippi State game and they just kind of held the camera on there for a second. I was like, wow, he's just, his frame is absolutely massive, especially for a guy who's really young. That's something that Brad Bedell talked about in the spring was it didn't make it, he didn't really sound like they're going to lean on him too much right now. They've got experienced guys and John Samuel Schenker and Luke Deal played a lot of snaps last season and then they're really high on what Tyler Fromm can do now in this offense he and John Samuel Shanker might be the two best pass catchers Auburn has at tight end and they ran a lot of 12 personnel this spring so those guys should be on the field a lot but I mean if he's much bigger than that if he goes much bigger than like 6'6 270 he's playing left tackle (laughs) I mean but I mean seriously I'm not entirely sure I don't you know getting specific weights or anything I don't really do that um, except for a guy that I'm trying to report something very specifically on. And so maybe if I've been smarter and taken these questions like a week ago, I could have just easily found that. But I did it earlier today. No idea if he's gotten bigger, we will see in fall camp. But already a really, really big guy with a really, really big frame. And in high school, showed that really big catch radius. So they're excited to develop his skill set. But like we mentioned, um, they've got plenty of depth at tight end already. And maybe a couple guys who are going to occupy those starting roles uh, this fall. Next question is from WTX Tiger. He says, what or he or she says, what is the vibe from the players of the coaching staff and program direction? I've heard from other places that the players have more swagger and are carrying themselves with more confidence than with the previous staff. What say you? Yeah, um, the vibes. Are the vibes correct? Yeah, a little teaser here. I'm I'm hoping to get Trovon Reed on the show. Hopefully everybody knows who that is. Um, he's agreed to do it. And now we've just got to figure out a time. we were going to do it last week, but had to push it back just a little bit. But partially I did that because somebody suggested to me when he tweeted about how he, I can't remember the exact tweet um, that the locker room is different and feels different to him than years past. Somebody said, well, you should get him on a podcast, ask him about that. That's exactly what we're going to do. But that is the feeling. Yeah. A little meaner. Um, definitely physical, definitely pushing them in workouts. Hopefully that's something everybody understands right now is that this, I've talked to some parents recently and some other people either close to or within the program. And I mean, they're not getting their butts kicked per se, especially guys who were in elite high school programs and are used to this kind of conditioning. But I mean, they are working them incredibly, incredibly hard. And everyone I've talked to has not shied away from saying that it's much harder than it's been the past few years under Gus Malzon. much, much harder. Now everybody's got a different style. Um, I don't think that should be to any discredit of Ryan Russell because he is one of the better strength coaches in the nation. He was snatched up really quick by Missouri once he was not retained by Auburn and he's got a great track record going back with Gus Malzon, but Jeff Pittman's a great one too. I think Auburn really, really, I think this strength staff has a great plan. Um, I think they're very organized with what they're doing right now. And like we talked about in the VIP buzz a couple weeks ago, the players and the parents specifically are very pleased with the tracking system. And they think it really is kind of improving the maturity, if that makes any sense in that regard for players. Tracking what they do, making sure that that is a, an area of emphasis all the time, not just with them when they're in the practice building. But yeah, in terms of the vibes and like you said, swagger, um, can't necessarily speak to that. But I will say that Brian Harson getting in there and getting his hands dirty has made an impression on some of these players and some of these parents. Talking specifically when we put together that one, um, where had, we had a lot of offensive line info, talking to people who know, you know Auburn offensive linemen. How much those kids appreciate that offensive, defensive linemen, guys who play very physical. These coaches are getting in there with them, pushing them in workouts, not just telling them what to do, showing them. Now, again, I'll say something that we've said on this podcast like a million times. Will it be better on the field? I don't know. You've got to put together a million things in order to have a successful program. Like, is that going to make Auburn win 10 games and become more consistent on the field than they were under Gus Malzahn. No, no way. I mean, that's not going to be the only thing, but again, it is a Brian Harson thing. Everybody wanted something differently. Most people didn't think Gus Malzahn was necessarily a bad coach, but they just wanted a culture shift. And what you're talking about, the vibes and the kind of the swagger, and I mean, mean streak is cliche, but that honestly, that might be the right word here that we're hearing out of summer workouts is definitely in that direction we're talking about Them being a little meaner, a little bit stronger, I'm definitely excited to get around to talking to players, um, especially some veteran players, because I mean, in spring ball, I mean, yeah, you had winter workouts, but I mean, Brian Harson was running around trying to fill his staff and get ready to do recruiting. He was only a few months on the job. I'm excited to talk to some veterans in fall camp about what the summer workouts look like as Harson got a little bit more comfortable as the strength staff. Put all these intricate plans together. Excited to see what they have to say there. But yeah, really, really good question. Appreciate that. Next one is from AU24. When are we going to hang all five of our national championship banners in the stadium? Yeah. So some people asked me about that a while ago um, when they were that person, he or she was first noticing that Auburn has five national championships listed on its website. That'd be 2010, 1993, 1983, 1957, and 1913. And I reached out to a team spokesperson about it and just was like, hey, you know, making sure, you know, because if you look online, those are the ones that they have been distributed by the old NCAA selectors and the old um, teams that excuse me, outlets that used to put together championship ballots. I knew that those were the five, but it's like, okay, is Auburn claiming these now? And no, they're not claiming them. Uh, the only ones they're still claiming are 2010 and 1957. Unless something drastic happens, that team spokesperson told me no plans for it right now. If Auburn were to hang a banner for some reason, and, and really the only one I can think of recently, I can't remember what year it was. I want to say it was the early 1900s, but a couple of years ago to Oklahoma State, like have a national championship ceremony and banner hanging thing for, for, for something that they won a long time ago it would be something like that you would know about it it would be a whole big thing Auburn is doing but right now again no plans for it it's just not Auburn's thing like other schools and programs hang every banner they can Auburn chooses to which shouldn't really come as a surprise if you kind of catch my drift they don't officially claim anything that is not from the consensus NCAA selectors over the past you know 150 years that go into the national championship selection process. So they've still got the two. think they'll have a better chance to compete for some down the road when the playoff goes to 12 teams, probably going to see Auburn in that national title picture a little bit more often in terms of the postseason. So, but no, uh, to answer the question, when are all the banners going to get hung? Probably not very soon. Uh, again, unless something, what I was told, unless something drastic changes, you're not going to get any changes in terms of stuff that's going up in the stadium.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: So M5 guy asks, will Finley be a legitimate challenger to bow for the starting quarterback job? This was the subject of our VIP buzz last week. Not the subject. It was all about quarterbacks, but obviously a big storyline. Will he obviously we'll see now does Auburn and those around the program and those who know Finley think he has the tools and the capability to do it um absolutely 100% and talking to if you go back and and listen to the podcast that we did last week with SEC Statcat guy who is all over the SEC statistics has stuff just regurgitates crazy info on every single player that you can imagine finley although it was a shorter sample size you obviously would have liked to have seen you know the the variables be exactly the same for him and Bo Nix last season. He did a lot of things better than Nix in his five starts for LSU, and he was thrown into the fire a little bit, obviously, because of the injury to Miles Brennan, and LSU kind of put him in there a lot faster than he was supposed to go. I'm really glad that Keith brought up earlier in the conversation um, about Holden Gurnier. I'm really glad he brought up the strong arm, the NFL body and just kind of the pro style mold, because that is exactly why they went after TJ Finley. And that is exactly why a lot of people think that TJ Finley is it this fall or is it later think he can be a really good fit for this offense. And if you don't think what he did at LSU was good enough last year, look at where he was getting courted as a transfer. Alabama thought he was good enough to come into that quarterback room. Steve Sarkeesian wanted him at Texas. Penn State was probably his other big challenger. Georgia wanted him as well. Some of the best programs in college football thought this guy would be a welcome addition to their quarterback room. Now, obviously he was all Auburn from the beginning. Something I posted about last week was that he's developed a really, really good relationship with this team already. He's already kind of like in I guess I would describe it as like the, a big friend group on the team. He's already in there making great relationships with those guys. He's very, very well liked by his teammates already. And he actually did some training before he was even, you know, publicly committed to Auburn. He had been committed for like a week and a half. He, he admitted this, he said this, that he had been committed to Auburn for like a week and a half before he announced it, which doesn't come as a huge surprise, but. Um, I believe he was in Georgia. He was training with Kobe Hudson and Tank Bigsby. and They were there at the same time. He has already developed a rapport with his teammates. That's step one. Step two is going to be the biggest thing for either one of these quarterbacks, and that is this playbook, getting it down and mastering it um, to the point where it's going to be successful and they're going to be able to have a more successful passing game than they had last season. So, But the the fundamentals of this question – the crux. Will he challenge Bo for the starting job? I'm, I, I kind of went after that info after having that podcast with StatCat, where he was very bullish on Finley's ability to challenge Bo and look out again. I think Bo Nix is a great talent and I think he has a really, really high ceiling, but he's yet to put it all together. Still hasn't completed 60% of his passes through two seasons, but he is going to be a third year starter. In the SEC, I'm kind of of the opinion that if this staff can't fix him per se, that's a really you know easy cop out way to kind of describe the situation. Um, if if they can't do it, then Finley's going to be in a really good position to do it. So that, that's kind of why I went after that info after that podcast with StatCat. I was like, I wonder you know beyond the statistics, kind of blend those two together because I think that's the best way you can you can assess a football program is intel and info versus actual smart statistics. And yeah, people think around the program and those who know TJ Finley and those who know other quarterbacks on the roster as well, Demetrius Davis, um, one that I'll mention as well, think that he's got a really good shot here to surprise people and be in the mix here. As of today, obviously you give the benefit of the doubt to Bo, but at the same time, it's, what is it? It's June 29th. I mean, of course you're going to say that the third year rising third year starter presumed third year starter, former five-star guy is gonna have the edge against the guy who's only been on campus a few weeks. But I think TJ Finley's got a lot of good tools. And I'm really glad Keith brought up that about Holden Gurnier that Gurner, I really need to get practice saying his name, um, that the pro style quarterback is what this will offense wants moving forward. That's why they brought in TJ Finley. They think that he can be developed and they can mold him not only down the road, but possibly this season. So really, really good question. And a good segue here by Carlisle 621, a very, um, very related question. He says, who do you see as the number one wide receiver going into the season? Yeah, that's related because like we've talked about before, it doesn't matter what happens with the quarterback battle. It almost doesn't even matter if this offensive line develops in a way under will friend if guys get shuffled around we'll talk a little bit about the offensive line later it almost doesn't even matter if that works out well if you don't have any receivers to throw it to if you don't have guys that are going to be consistently catching the ball for you and making plays on the outside because as everybody knows you look at college football in recent seasons the best teams in the country right now the biggest premiums are on wide receivers and defensive linemen that's kind of obviously other than a than a good quarterback that's kind of what makes your team hum along the best programs in college football. Think of Alabama, think of Clemson, think of Ohio state. They've had really, really good game breaking receivers who can do a little bit of everything. Maybe a guy on the inside and a guy who can kind of break it down the field. Does Auburn have a go-to guy right now? They do not. That's a good thing, sort of, in that you're kind of getting these guys all fighting for that number one position. Now they've been in it for a few transfers this off season. And they're in it for another one right now. If you're a subscriber, you know who I'm talking about. If you're not a number, Auburn undercover subscriber, consider doing that and check it out. Um, and if you are a subscriber, you don't know who I'm talking about. Go to the message boards. you will figure it out pretty quickly. But I'll probably say as of right now, again, June 29th, I like Elijah Canyon a lot. I think he was probably the most consistent player for them in spring ball at the wide receiver position in terms of a guy who has done it before. There's also Javarius Johnson, whom I wrote about this week in the Most Valuable Players series. He might have been the most talked about guy in fall camp, just a playmaker every single day. A guy, teammates gushed on him for his athleticism. Harson singled him out and said he was very well prepared and made the receivers group look good and practice very consistently. Cornelius Williams said he had a little bit of leadership ability. And look, this is a guy who... he was a big Gus Malzahn guy, and they really wanted to get him into that offense. Dealt with a series of injuries. He's been on campus for two years. This is his third season with the program now. Has yet to appear in a game. He's dealt with injuries his entire life. That's what we said when we talked to him in the spring. He said it's just kind of the hand he's been dealt. He, he He's used to it by now. But I'm sort of – and he's that smaller slot guy. and you know, He's like 100 – Auburn has like 158 pounds. I, I was looking at it this week. Like five foot nine, five foot ten. Really, really fast. Great moves in the open field. He's in line to be a starter, but I'm sort of treading lightly with him just because we've never seen him do it on the field before. And the same can be said for Elisha Canyon. Now, he is a much bigger bodied 6 six-foot-four outside X receiver really going to take over that, that role for Seth Williams. We saw what he could do in the bowl game against Northwestern when Anthony Schwartz was sitting out that game, so he was able to kind of move up a rung on the depth chart. But that's just one game. I mean, I thought he was phenomenal that game. I thought his route running was really, really clean for a guy that big. And obviously, we had the story on him a little bit earlier this spring where I talked to his trainer down in Florida. Elijah Kenyon trained with NFL players not only this spring, but I come to find out guys like Odell Beckham Jr., he's been working with for years. His parents thought it was a really, really good idea to kind of get him introduced to that program early on. And he's been doing it for years. So this is a guy. And again, he is the least lowest rated recruit out of that 2020 wide receivers class. All the other guys were four stars. Um, you had these Capers, JJ Evans, um, Malcolm Johnson Jr. And then somebody else I'm just, I, you know, that's going to bother me. So I'm going to look it up and completely blanking on the other guy right now. But he's the lowest rated guy. And I think he's probably my bet right now to be that number one receiver just because I like his ability to make catches on the outside. And I've seen him do it in a game setting, a Kobe Hudson is the other. One. I've seen him do it in a game setting, and he was really impressive. Hudson could be that guy. He didn't. He still hasn't shown us much. Um, he had seven catches last season, that ties Xavier Capers for the most um, among any of these guys coming back. Don't forget about Mister Xavier Capers. He was a really, really good-looking route runner over the middle of the field. Um, a pretty consistent player for a true freshman. Seven catches. And that touchdown against LSU, he could also be a guy. He's kind of that blend of a slot receiver and that true outside guy. Don't know if he can stretch the field a ton. At the same time, I don't know if Elijah Canyon really can. He's just kind of got that really good catch radius and that long body. But if they bring in the transfer they think they can bring in, he will undoubtedly be the number one receiver. But right now i have to lean on Elijah Canyon and, and kind of gush on him just because I think his skill set is really, really impressive. Um, and I think he can take a really big step. He was a consistent player all throughout the spring. Looks like Bo Nix has a pretty good um, connection and rapport with him already. And he looked pretty good in the 8A game, too. He made a couple of big plays there. So, really like what he brings to the table. He'd probably be my pick right now. Carlisle621 also asks He says, Many of the transfers Harson and staff have targeted are native from Alabama. Is this having a positive impact with the high school coaches? with the programs for those kids come from that is part of it yeah yeah so montgomery and mobile and obviously the entire state but those hotbeds are really important for this staff i know that was a big priority off the bat when brian harson was able to put this staff together and kind of get rolling and then obviously you had a little bit of a roadblock with tracy rocker going to the eagles and you had to get nick eason on there but once this staff got put together and started putting their recruiting plan together, that was a big priority for them to say, okay, we're not all from here. Very few of us are from here. You're going to lean on a guy like a Cornelius Williams. You're going to lean on a guy like Cadillac Williams who have the connections in state. That has definitely been important for them, especially a guy like Cornelius Williams. Lots of connections for him. But that was really important for them to set up 100%. Definitely is part of their recruiting strategy Right now, not only with high school kids, but with transfers. I mean, you look at 2023, where honestly, Auburn is going to be setting up for a more a more full class then. I mean, 2021, you've got the transition class. In 2022, you can already kind of see what they're doing, where they're kind of backloading the transfers right now. And transfers can suffice then. Like you've got a young enough roster pretty much to, to make that work. 2023 is really where you're going to kind of make your money if you're Harson. You look at that class. I mean, there's Peter Woods from Thompson. There's James Smith from Carver and Montgomery. They'll be five stars. They're not yet, but two absolutely elite defensive linemen. And just overall in 2023, at every position, really great talent in the state. Some of the best talent it's had in a while. So yes, you have to do that. You have to develop those relationships because Alabama is going to have its pick of the top talent in the state. That's how it's been. You have to, have to make yourself number two you have to set your up yourself up at number two with your positions of need as in if james smith who mind you visited auburn in june important visit for them he's going to be a five-star defensive tackle out of montgomery if he doesn't want to go to alabama he's going to auburn a la derrick brown i mean you have to set up a situation like that you cannot let the georgias and the oregons and the clemsons you cannot let them raid your state and take alabama's leftovers now obviously you know, not everybody is going to have Alabama as their number one pick, but I'm just kind of being honest that that's how it's gone recently. Um, But those programs I already mentioned, Clemson obviously got a few Auburn targets over the last few years, especially on the defensive line. Oregon is doing a really good job because of Cristobal's kind of history, doing a good job of recruiting around here. You have to set yourself up as that number two. And you look at the guys that they've gone after Jordan Ingram, originally from Mobile, Marcus Harris, originally from Montgomery. And then other guys that they've targeted, um, the linebacker out of Texas A&M, it's not just to develop those relationships, but kind of on the whole, a broader picture there. Absolutely. You have to do that when you're this new staff, because you didn't bring in a guy with Alabama ties. You brought in a guy with West Coast ties. And we saw some of that in Texas ties. We saw that pay off for him with his ability to get guys like Jaden Wayne, the five-star defensive end out of Washington State. The state, not a Washington state transfer. He's a high school kid, able to get guys like that on campus. They're working, you know, Idaho, places like that, a little bit more, might have a little bit better of a California pipeline set up, but your main pipelines are going to be in the state. They know that they're going to be in the Southeast region, Montgomery, Mobile, places like that. So, yes, 100%. Absolutely huge, huge part of their recruiting plan right now. And then we'll get into our last one. I will say, just before I move on, G man's up also asked me earlier, what can Brandon council do? And I completely, I have my notes here and I like meant to say that we're going to get to that later. So he probably just thinks, hopefully you're still listening. You probably just think I can please skip the question, but we had questions about injured players later on. And that's this last one. So meant to say, we get to that. So Donald 61 asked for updates on injured players. He says, can you give us an update on the players that were injured in the spring? Mainly the wide receivers like Jackson and capers plus on the offensive line council and Others, Yeah. So as much as I could gather here, um, council, now this was something again, that I gathered and didn't really have enough to put together much of anything. But when I was digging around some offensive line people, um, around the offensive lineman for the VIP buzz a couple of weeks ago. So I was told he actually might not be ready for the start of the season. Now remember he had that knee injury that knocked him out uh, midseason against Ole Miss, he was out for the year, and Brian Harson revealed that he actually had a shoulder injury since then. In the time after that, he was in a sling all throughout spring practice, or in a yeah, he, his shoulder was you know tended to all throughout spring practice and not used. The team is kind of preparing to start fall camp without him. I don't know what that really says about how much he can do, um, but that might mean that Keandre Jones and Tayshawn Manning. Are your guards right now, and Auburn is going to have to adjust down the road. Now, something else that we wrote about was obviously that Will Friend has received some pretty raving reviews so far, but everybody has had a blank slate on that offensive line. That's something that Friend told us himself in spring practices. So, I mean, you've got a guy like an Austin Troxel who's played guard in the past, a guy like a Killian Zaire. How much? How how good does he look at tackle? Does he allow a guy like Broderius Ham to move to guard? So. I do think the lineup is going to end up the same. I don't know who's going to start at the tackles. Will Austin Troxel break through and be that starting left tackle? Is Brennan Coffey going to give Broderius Ham a run for his money at the right tackle spot? We shall see, but my guess would be that we're going to start with that same lineup without counsel. So apparently that's the case. Apparently you know he is recovering well, but Auburn is tentatively planning to possibly start the season Um, or excuse me, start fall camp, and maybe the season without him. Moving to the other side of the line of scrimmage, uh, Jeremiah Wright is doing really good. That's the converted offensive guard who has now moved to defensive tackle, was having a really, really good spring, um, just singled out by everybody, Derek Mason, all the way down to his teammates as having a standout spring, um, and he tore his ACL in the first spring scrimmage. He's recovering very, very well, very successful surgery, very successful recovery so far he's able to do a lot a lot of upper body stuff right now while recovering that knee um, and a midseason return for him would be incredible and it's something that they think they can maybe do right now obviously you know Will Hastings tore his ACL in the spring and was able to, to be back by week two that fall that's kind of the standard but he ended up redshirting medically redshirting that year anyway because it got re-injured and they didn't really want to risk it so They're going to take things carefully, but they really, really like what Jeremiah Wright is doing right now in terms of his recovery. Xavier Capers, JJ Evans, and Shedrick Jackson, all of whom obviously allowed a guy like a Javarius Johnson um, to shine in spring ball because they thinned out that receiver rotation. They have been in spring workouts, no problem. They are all good. Uh, Capers has been good for a while. Capers, I remember seeing him at that open practice running through drills just fine. A lot of this stuff, I think, was really precautionary. Um, and you also got to think this staff I mean, it's easy to be told, you know, medical evaluation, this happens all the time, but this staff wasn't there when those previous injuries happened. So it, it, it would be advantageous for them, I think, in a lot of situations to be as, you know, set up precautions and not rush things. But I actually saw um, Shedrick Jackson and J.J. Evans on campus one day when recruiting was open at the beginning of June. They look fine, and Capers' parents have been saying that he is good to go, so no worries there. Um, Zion Puckett, the defensive back, uh, Amari Harvey, the freshman defensive back, and Desmond Tisdall, the sophomore linebacker. They were the others with injuries. Marco Domeo was also injured, but he has now transferred to UCF. They're fine now. Again, that those were mostly precautionary things, like like Tisdall and Harvey played a good bit in terms of, Practices, but they were non-contact. They just did and they didn't scrimmage. Again, I'd like to speak Puckett's name out into the void a little bit more as we lead up to the season. He is healthy now, and this staff likes him a lot. Please remember that he is the best recruit in this secondary. Right now, he's one of the best defensive backs Auburn has ever recruited in terms of his 24 7 sports composite ranking. Just don't forget about them while the, we, we talk a lot, and rightfully so, we talk a lot about the Kaufmans, um, and the Bidarius Knightens and the, the Ladarius Tennyson, some great names, and, the, and Smoke Monday, obviously. Um, great names on the back end of that Auburn secondary, by the way. But if, as we talk about guys like that at the nickel position and at safety, don't forget about Zion Puckett. That's all I'm saying. That's all I, I want to make apparent. That's all. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Auburn Undercover podcast. I really enjoyed this episode. I had a lot of fun. I think we'll do some more like this throughout the off season. And honestly, when we've got a segment like that with Keith, where that is the draw, we can just kind of fill the rest of the runtime with just some fun questions like this. So really, really enjoyed it. Appreciate everybody again for sending in those questions. Had a really fun time with that. Kind of wondering what else really we can get into here um, in terms of any news or anything like that. I will say that over the past week, Sharif Cooper and JT Thor from Auburn basketball have been phenomenal at the NBA combine. It ended, I believe a couple days ago, but JT Thor, especially, I mean, his name was, he became one of the most talked about NBA prospects since he officially announced um, like a month ago that he was leaving his name in the draft process. Now, obviously we knew that was probably the case for a long time, but we had said it on this podcast before, but he went out and made it official and scouts just started drooling over him once they started to assess him a little bit more, got to see him in person at the NBA combine. And he just wowed some folks, um, his shot, his jump shot was something he had focused on a lot in the offseason training. And it looked a lot better. Number one, just, just looking at it in terms of the way the shot comes off. But more importantly, he shot the best three point on the three point drills, the solo three point drills. He shot better than any other front court player at the combine. We're talking about guys that, you know, specialized in that stretch guys um, from the college level. Now going to the NBA, he shot the best mark from three point range, had a really, really good day at the combine. So much. So let me find the tweet here. I mean, most people think he's going in the first round now, which is pretty crazy, considering when he said that he was leaving, everybody kind of understood and thought, you know, he's got a lot of potential and he might be a really good NBA player. Soon just because of how raw he is. But Jonathan Wasserman from um, Bleacher Report and m- formerly of NBA draft.net. We've used this stuff a lot. Really great NBA draft stuff. He tweeted a couple days ago that Thor um, is going to work out for the Pacers, Hornets, and Pelicans. Those are three teams in the late lottery. So Auburn now could have, I mean, just a crazy rise for Thor over the past two weeks. Could be two consecutive lottery picks for Bruce Pearl. And if Sharif Cooper goes in the first round, which That's where he's being mocked. He was mocked to the Knicks earlier today at number 19 by ESPN. And then Thor went to the Nets at number 28. I think that's been my favorite one so far. I get both those guys in New York. I think that'd be really cool. But um, if Sharif Cooper goes in the first round, which he had a a few days after Thor, when it got around to his turn at the combine, he had a really good showing. His shot looked improved as well and had a lot of really, really impressive performances passing the ball. So easily, easily two of the more hyped players out of the nba combine i mean just because they're from auburn is not the only reason that people that we're that you're hearing about them they are being talked about in all kinds of nba circles definitely jt thor but it seems like sharif cooper um is a really really good chance to land in the first round too so that would be four first round picks in three years for bruce pearl depending on where sharif cooper lands I mean, Auburn only had six first round picks before Chumo Kiki went to the magic. I believe number 16 overall before he went to the magic in 2019, Auburn only had six first round picks ever in its history. Now you could have four in three years. Um, Jabari Smith is probably going to be like a top five, top 10 pick next year as well. So Alan Flanagan has some first round draft. buzz. I mean, we, we talk about this like every other podcast talking about. Auburn's NBA draft chances because the draft is coming up next month. Let's see. Let me remember exactly. I believe it's like July 29th, something like that. Uh, I couldn't pull it up fast enough to be convenient here. I believe that's the date, July 29th. I think it's a week from today. Anyway, keep an eye on those guys. Keep an eye on mock drafts. Really, really excited to see where they go. So thank you guys so much again for listening to the Auburn Undercover podcast. Please leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed it. Um, if you have any suggestions or anything like that, um, anything you want to tell me, anything you want to talk about, you think that we should maybe do better, please shoot me an email. It's in my Twitter bio at by Nathan King or shoot me a message on our message boards. The intro and outro music to the podcast is by my good buddy Beats by Mordecai. You can find his stuff on Twitter, SoundCloud and Instagram. And until we chat next time, everybody have a good rest of the week and a great weekend. See you later.